Welcome to your province, your premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator of this new show that you're listening to right across the province in Calgary on 770 CHQR and in Edmonton on 630 Ched. Every Saturday morning at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Jason Kenney about some of the issues of the day. But this is really your opportunity to speak with him, to ask your questions, to voice your concerns, to raise issues that you feel need to be addressed. It's your chance to speak with a Premier one-on-one, whatever's on your mind. But keep it short, keep it respectful, and you'll also have to be patient. And if a question has already been asked by a previous caller, you won't be able to ask it again. That's really the only screening process that we have. Premier Kenny wants to hear from you. You can call or text in Calgary, 403-974-8255, and Edmonton, 780-496-0063, or across the province, one 800 563 7770. Premier Kenny, welcome back to the show. Great to be back. Thanks, Wayne. It has been another wild week in Canadian politics. Federally, we had the announcement of the Liberal NDP agreement or coalition or whatever it is to work together. In our province, the UCP executive's decision to move to a mail-in ballot and cut off registrations for the leadership review, a move that really seems to have upset about everybody in the party, if recent reports are to be believed, and increased the size of the target on your back. And then there's that leaked recording. And then there's the kamikaze candidate uh, Callaway uh, issue. So before we get to the phones and texts, I want to start with a leadership review controversy. On last week's show, you and I discussed this. You expressed your concern about the number of party members registered to attend, some 15,000, I think, at that time. Concern because the capacity at the Cambridge Hotel in Red Deer, where the convention is being held, is only about 2,000. And I'm pretty sure it would be a fire code violation if the party tried to squeeze in all 15,000 registrants. So let's put that into perspective. That number of people would almost fill the Saddle Dome in Calgary or Rogers Place in Edmonton, and there simply isn't a facility large enough in Red Deer to handle that many people at once. So here's my questions, okay, five, five points on the questions. Is this just a result of poor planning, not getting a right-sized building from the outset? What's got people most upset? Is it the last-minute switch to mail-in ballots? Is it the move to cut off registrations? And I know that had to be done for the logistics of the mail-in ballot. Or is it the money? You know, the party website says convention fees for those who paid will be refunded or could be contributed to the party. And I can't see that as being an issue. But then there are those who shelled out for buses or hotel rooms that won't be refunded. Now, you had to know by making this decision, and I know it wasn't you that made it, but the buck stops with you, that this is only going to add fuel to the fire for those who want you gone. And that comes back to my point last week about lack of unity in the United Conservative Party. So where did it go off the rails? Well, I, I'm not sure that it did, Wayne. And I, first of all, uh, thanks. For, good, be, good to be back. Thanks for the questions. Uh, you asked, the, your first question was it poor planning. Yeah. Well, look, there have been a lot of leadership reviews in conservative parties provincially. They usually happen at our AGMs where there's usually one to 2,000 delegates. I think they were expecting a few more. They were expecting up to 2,800. I did encourage our elected board to develop contingency plans in case there was significantly more demand, and there was. Ultimately, uh, with 15,000 registered delegates, probably headed to over 20,000. There was no way of accommodating that at one location. They would have, in over a six-hour voting window, had to put through one voter per second. There'd be thousands of people queued up, the certainty of protests, uh, inadequate parking, etc. So... Uh, what the party decided to do is take a step back, look at the situation, 
and empower every single member to vote conveniently, securely from home at no cost to them with the universal franchise. Now, I don't, I haven't ran into a single person who's upset about that. And I've done, I think, eight public events in the past uh, two or three days. I just came from one this morning with a couple of hundred United Conservative members in Calgary. I did a straw poll at the end of my speech. I said, how many of you prefer a universal mail ballot to a convention in Red Deer? And it looked to me like 100% of the people put up their hands for the universal ballot. So I I actually think it's a very uh, positive decision. It expands the franchise, and it's going to be administered by a globally recognized accounting firm. Um, It's the same way the federal Conservatives administer their leadership election. So it... It, uh, I, I think it was a wise decision by our board. And no, I don't think it, it creates disunity. I think it actually empowers more regular members. A lot of seniors were not going to travel to Red Deer to stand in a line for four or five hours, potentially being yelled at by protesters. So this allows everybody, even if they can't leave home, to be able to vote. I think that's a good thing. Could there have been in-person voting stations set up throughout the province? Perhaps, but uh, with a, with two weeks' notice, unlikely that they could do that. Um realistically, and uh, this way you end up with a secure ballot that every single person gets, including people that can't leave their homes. Now, you've said this uh, and, and before. I mean, we talked about it last week that you were concerned about the logistics. Now, people are being, uh, people are upset. A lot of people are upset. We're hearing from a lot of people saying that this was a last-minute switch to mail-in ballots. And, and so did you have a choice? Well, it was the party board that made this decision, and uh, they looked at a bunch of options, and they, they decided on, on the, the one that allows for every single person to vote uh, conveniently at no cost, everybody to get a ballot. Uh, it maximizes democratic decision-making. But could this decision have been made earlier? You can I, see I, that the trending, that there was more, yeah. more registrations. Perhaps, perhaps. And, okay. and again, I, my encouragement for, for the last couple, three months to the, our elected board has been, you, you know, you, you, we have to come up with contingency plans in case there's excessive demand that can't be handled at one location. Um, but uh, there was, you know, I think they thought maybe there was a way of doing a few thousand uh, in Red Deer, but then suddenly that went to 15,000. It was going to go to 20,000, just not viable in one location. All right. What about those who shelled out for buses or hotel rooms that, that won't be refunded? It has nothing to do with the party, but this is just hotel registrations, perhaps charter bus fees, those kind of things. Well, I, I'll tell you this. All of the people I've met who had been reg- registered to go are very happy that they don't have to give up their weekend and hundreds of dollars of travel costs, gas, and everything else. So uh, I'm sorry if there's been some inconvenience here, but but uh, this gave most people their weekends back. They'll be getting, if anybody who registered will be getting 100 bucks back on their, their credit card statement. Um, and so the vast majority of people, I think, are happy and think this is a good decision by the board. All right, let's go to the phones, uh, because this is for our listeners. We're going to start with Steve. Steve, uh, calling Hello. from, uh, looks like you're calling from Edmonton. Steve, go ahead. Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, good morning, Mr. Kenny. Hi, Steve. Hi. Uh, regarding uh, ATB and the Freedom Convoy, uh, when Trudeau enacted the Emergencies Act, providing him with power to seize bank funds, why has ATB stated that they were subject to these provisions when ATB is not a federally chartered bank? Why do the feds have authority over an Alberta Crown Corporation? Yeah, that's a good question, Steve. Uh, when the Emergencies Act declaration was made and that power to freeze bank accounts was introduced. I spoke to our finance minister, Travis Taze, who is the minister responsible for ATB, to see if there was some way that we could um, uh, direct ATB not to comply. Uh, And I know that he 
uh, spoke to the leadership at Alberta Treasury branches, and they said that they they were required legally to comply. They they consult. I believe they consulted legal counsel, and that was uh, so. I don't know the ins and outs of under what authority, but I think the federal. Um, order was not just about federally regulated institutions. It was beyond the conventional federal regulatory authority over financial institutions. It was a blanket power that they have. And uh, that is one of the many reasons, Steve, why we opposed the unnecessary federal invocation of the Emergencies Act. We thought it was completely disproportionate. And uh, it's also why we are the only provincial government in Canada that is challenging it as unconstitutional. Now, I know that's retrospective, but still, we need the courts to speak on this and, I hope, uh, limit, circumscribe uh, any potential future use of these extraordinary powers, which are really designed for total uh, of you know failures of the state, or warfare or insurrection situations. And we've, we've made an application to the courts as an intervener to support the Canadian Constitution Foundation and the Canadian Civil Liberties Association in challenging the application of that law. All right. Thank you, Mr. Premier. And we will get back to the phones and the text messages when we return. It's time for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson, and I'll be back with Premier Jason Kenney and more of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. Welcome back to Your Province, Your Premier, a new show every Saturday morning from 10 till 11 for listeners throughout Alberta. In Edmonton on 630 Chad, here in Calgary on 770 CHQR. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator, and this is your opportunity to voice your concerns, to address issues you feel are important, to ask questions directly with the Premier one-on-one. In Calgary, the number is 403-974-8255. At Edmonton, call or text 780-496-0063. And across the province, 1-800-563-7770. All right, Anne has been holding on here for a quarter of an hour. So, Anne, you are on with Premier J. Jason Kenny, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Premier Kenny. Calgary had the highest rents among major cities in Canada in 2008 and 2014 15 prior to recessions and has the highest rents for the lowest income grouping of renters. Financial reporting of one of the largest publicly traded financialized landlords in Canada, Boardwalk Wheat, based in Calgary, that sat on the Alberta Affordable Housing Review Panel, reviews planned unsustainable rental payment increases to tenants in Calgary of $152 mark-to-market per month at a time its operating costs are consistently low at approximately $500 per month, and it reported high profits in 2021, a 326% increase to $446 million. Will you uphold the National Housing Strategy Act 2019 that entrenches housing as a human right, especially at a time of receiving Ukrainian refugees to Canada? And as such, how are you going to protect renters who are often vulnerable low and moderate income households. And I think you were taking your cue from me on how to ask a question there. You <laughs> rolled it all into one. Go ahead, uh, Mr. Yeah, Premier. thank you. And you, you, you put a lot, uh, you're clearly passionate and well-informed about the issue. Thank you. And of course, housing affordability is, is critical and we will be seeing significant changes, I think, in the real estate uh, and rental markets in Alberta as people from the rest of the country, especially Ontario and BC, realize how much uh, less expensive housing is in Alberta, so I think there will be significant population growth over the next uh, over the middle uh, next few years here, and that you're right will likely put upward pressure not just on um, 
housing costs, but of course rental. So I, I think the best way of dealing with that is to build more rental. So there's more supply to accommodate growing demand. And uh, on that, I would just encourage uh, Calgary City Council and other municipal governments to be uh, smarter and more flexible and faster moving in terms of zoning decisions um, to allow for more builds, uh, in, including of rental houses and, and to reduce, you know, uh, when governments keep making, adding more and more regulatory requirements to building codes, for example, they drive up the cost of new builds. That is reflected in higher rental costs. So those are some things that I, I believe uh, governments can do. I, I'm not familiar with the National Strategy uh, Housing Act. I'll take a look into that, and thank you for raising that. I would like to continue on a related text message, this one from Edmonton. Dear Mr. Premier, with the current costs of living, I would appreciate it if you and all the premiers would force the federal government to raise the personal tax exemption to at least 24,000. People simply cannot survive at 13,800. Thank you. Well, I can say that in Alberta, we do have a a much more generous basic personal exemption. It's nearly $19,000 per person. It's much higher than any other province. And um, and in fact, 40% of Albertans do not pay any income tax. So we have the most progressive system in that sense. Uh, but I, I totally agree. The cost of living is the number one concern right now. It's getting out of control. That's why Alberta's government will be eliminating the provincial fuel tax on April the 1st, which is 13 cents a liter, and uh, as well, it, it's going to help farmers and, and small business people. We'll also be providing a $150 rebate on uh, people's electricity bills for the high prices in the winter months. We've also put a cap on gas prices at 650 a gigajoule. If it goes above, above that, we'll provide people with a rebate. I think the most important thing the federal government could do would be to stop its intended 25% increase in the carbon tax on April the 1st, and it's planned to more than quadruple the carbon tax from $40 to $170 a ton. That will be the single biggest cost driver uh, for people in terms of uh, affordability. Uh, Mr. Premier, what about the regulated rate option? Because when the UCP government uh, came into power, they changed that formula. And people are saying, hey, that's why rates are going up. Well, no, no the, the, I think the idea there is the NDP claims they had a, um, some kind of a, prote- a price protection, but it only applied to a minority of power consumers and then only the generation cost, not the transmission cost, and certainly not their carbon tax, which is the majority of people's power bills. The real reason that rates are going up is because of past policy mistakes. Uh, Previous governments, including the NDP, they they brought in $7.5 billion of additional transmission expenditures that get passed on to our electricity bills. They also, uh, uh, they did a reckless rushed shutdown of the thermal coal-fired power plants, which were the cheapest and most reliable baseload power, forcing companies to spend billions on the coal-to-gas conversions, building new infrastructure. That's on our bills. They also had to pay out $1.3 billion dollars uh, in compensation because they they mix messed up the power purchasing agreements. That's on our bills. And they brought in with the Trudeau Liberals the carbon tax, which is the fastest growing part of our power bills. So those are, those are four uh, legacy mistakes that unfortunately we've inherited. This government, though, we've only approved $100 million of, of additional uh, transmission build. And as the economy grows, we should see those legacy costs spread across a, 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 the, uh, the ratepayer base. But really, the key thing governments could do would be to scrap these carbon taxes. All right. Let's go to the phones. Ernest has been hanging on for a long time. Ernest calling from Edmonton area. Go ahead, Ernest. You're on with Premier Jason Kenney. 
Yes, uh, good morning, Mr. Premier. Thanks for uh, letting me talk to you today. Uh, it's nice that you're saying how uh, Alberta is uh, leading in, in, in low taxes. My question is along those lines, and that is, have you ever considered or why hasn't Alberta considered the, the, per, the uh, property tax deferral like they have in British Columbia and have had for like 20, over 20, almost 30 years? In other words, you can def- people 55 years or older in BC can defer their property taxes until they sell their home or or change title on their home. And like my brother hasn't paid property taxes in 20 years, except when he sold the house. And then they, you know, it was a very it's kind of a loan from the government, very low interest, and it was a drop in the bucket compared to how uh, when how you know how when he sold the house. Uh, how much you have to pay, you know, to pay the property. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that and question, I just Ernest. Why we can't do that in Alberta? Okay, you know, Ernest. Thank you for the good question. I got to be honest. I, I had, you're the first guy to ever raise that with me. I'd never heard of the idea before. So it, let me just say thanks for putting that on my radar screen. And I'm going to ask uh, that our for a note on that from our finance department to see if that uh, what the implications of that would be in Alberta. Thanks for making me aware of that. Mr. Kenny, we'd like to go to a text message now. This one from Calgary. What can our Alberta government do to protect rural landowners from deep compensation reductions for gas leases from certain gas operators who are forcing farmers to the Surface Rights Board if they refuse to sign reduction letters? That one comes in from Paul. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Uh, Important question for a lot of uh, rural landowners who are uh, dealing with gas companies that have not paid their... um, their their obligations to the landowners and so we uh, surged a huge number of new appointees to the surface rights board because there was a big backlog it was think i think taking two or three years uh, for landowners to be able to get a hearing at the surface rights board on unpaid uh bills uh, from the energy companies so we we we've uh, put dozens more people on there and i think the timelines are actually going quite well now uh, on the surface rights board appeals um, we're also working with the Rural Municipalities Association to come up with long-term solutions on this. And uh, we are in discussions with the Alberta Energy Regulator as well. You know, um, we brought in, a, on a slightly separate but related issue, we did bring in a law last year allowing the um, municipalities to put a lien against uh, oil and gas companies that have not paid their property tax. And uh, I, I, I would like the AER to also consider... Uh, not providing uh, approvals to energy companies for, you know, for permits uh, if they have unpaid uh, lease payments as well. So there may need to be a connection there, and we're looking into all of that. All right, text message now from Tom in Edmonton. I'm likely one of many seniors losing a year or more quality of life while awaiting necessary surgery, multiple disc fusions in his case. Similar to Manitoba, could AHS not authorize surgeries to be performed in the U.S. to assist with reducing the backlog, assuming the province could negotiate preferred rates with a few specific hospitals and cities near our border? That's from Tom? Tom. That's a great question, Tom, and I'm sorry to hear about what you're going through. Uh, We ran on what we call the Alberta Surgical Wait Times Initiative. We put $900 million behind it, and that is to double the number of surgeries that we contract as a government outside of our government hospitals to be performed in what we call chartered surgical facilities, privately operated surgical facilities, um, because generally they were able to do more procedures more quickly at lower cost, and that will help us to reduce the backlogs. Unfortunately, COVID, as you know, 
did uh, make a bad situation worse in terms of Alberta surgical wait times. We're getting back on top of that. And Tom, we are looking at whether we can uh, f- uh, replicate the Manitoba approach and contract surgeries to be performed in the U.S. But uh, we did look at that during COVID, and we just found that it was not cost-effective, that the, the, the quotes we were getting from U.S. hospitals were just prohibitively expensive, um, and it couldn't be justified with all of the associated travel costs. But I have asked Health to go back and look at that, because I quite frankly think people who are waiting in pain don't care who, uh, where the procedure is done as long as they get that surgery done as close to the clinical timelines as as possible. So we are absolutely flexible about that. If we can see an option to contract outside of province, we certainly will pursue that. All right, COVID-related question for you from Dustin in Edmonton. Go ahead, Dustin. You're on the air with Premier Jason Kenney. Hi, with your go. Hi, with the legislature's recent move to condemn all federal travel restrictions, why did you not include the federal mask mandate? Because south of the border, all major airlines, including American, Delta, United, Southwest, and JetBlue, the uh, Governor Abbott of Texas, and the U.S. Senate have all recently condemned the U.S. federal mask mandate. So why did you not do the same in Alberta when you condemned all federal travel restrictions? Yeah, well, thank you, Dustin. Um, just uh, for folks who weren't, aren't aware, but, uh, we passed a motion last week in the legislature calling on the federal government to lift unnecessary travel restrictions. And, and primarily right now, that would be the um, proof of vaccination program. But Canada, as far as I know, is the only major country that ha- that requires people to show proof of vaccination to board a flight. And and with what we know about the transmissibility of Omicron and its subvariants, uh, even for vaccinated people, there is no longer a justifiable public health reason to limit travel to vaccinated individuals. A number of public health experts uh, have said that. Um, but, you know, f- uh, fair fair question, Dustin. I guess we just didn't enumerate every single one of the federal, federal travel restrictions. Um, I-, I think you've seen the European air carriers, American air carriers lift the mask requirement as well. Uh, and I hope the feds do the same. All right, let's go to the text messages, and we have one from Dave today, and uh, this is a very very current question. He says, in the paper today, it's at over 60% of all conservatives don't want you as leader. Why don't you just do the right thing and resign? Now, uh, Calgary Sun article this morning, uh, this is quoting uh, a poll from Leger, I believe. It says, Calgary... Uh, 57% of voters uh, want Premier Kenny to resign. Edmonton at 62%. The rest of Alberta, 53%. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I've been all around the province in the last month, and I'm incredibly encouraged by the support I'm hearing from grassroots conservatives. I just came from an event with a couple hundred people here in, in Calgary this morning. Yesterday I was in Lacombe and uh, the day before in Athabasca in uh, Smoky, Smoky um uh, Lake and, and other places uh, in northern Alberta at Lac La Biche. And I'm exp- what I'm hearing from people is a lot of encouragement and support. People know that COVID was a difficult and divisive time, but they also recognize that our government has kept nearly 90% of our platform commitments. We've just delivered a balanced budget. We're leading the country in economic and job growth. We see unprecedented diversification. Uh, we're building a stronger province. And uh, ultimately, I'll be held accountable in a universal vote of conservative members, uh, not some internet survey, but actual real vote of our members. I'm looking forward to what they have to say. You've had a couple presidents of uh, riding associations say that you should resign and put your name back in the hat, so to speak. Well, 
our members will have a chance to vote on the leadership review. Uh, I'll be accountable to every one of our uh, roughly 55,000 members in a secure, uh, safe mail ballot. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm hearing from uh, the regular conservative members that I'm meeting every single day uh, is a real appreciation for, uh, first of all, the fact that uh, the work I did to help unite the conservative movement in this province, the un- uh, the first government ever to be elected with over a million votes, a government that ran on an ambitious platform, nearly 90% of it delivered, a government that is doing what it said it would do, that led us through a three once-in-a-century crises, the public health crisis, the global economic collapse, the biggest collapse of energy prices ever. And I, I, what I'm hearing is people understand it's a lot easier to, it's a lot harder, I should say, to unite than to divide. It's a lot harder to build up than to tear down and it's a lot harder to lead through once-in-a-century crises than it is to criticize from the sidelines. I think our members want to unite, they want to build, and they want to lead Alberta into a new era of prosperity. That's what I'm hearing from people. Now, Ralph Klein's political career ended after he only received 55% support in the leadership review in 2006. Both Ed Stelmack and Alison Redford, uh, they did much better in their reviews, uh, 2009 and 2013, respectively. But for them, it was 77% wasn't enough. So, Mr. Premier, what's your magic number? Recently, you said it has and always has been 50% plus one. Has that changed? Well, what I said is that in a democracy, a majority is 50% plus one. Uh, but the, I'll wait and see what the members have to say. I'm encouraged by the feedback that I'm getting. Um, I think most people understand that COVID's been a really tough time for all of us, including those of us in positions of leadership. We had to make impossibly difficult decisions. A lot of freedom-loving Alberta Conservatives were frustrated and opposed to public health measures. I understand that. I didn't like any of them either. And as some people on the other end of the spectrum were angry that we didn't have, uh, we didn't come Enough. in with restrictions earlier and longer. But my plea is let's not end up in a divisive debate over the worst of COVID that we hope is behind us. Let's focus on the future. Uh, We just passed the first balanced budget in 14 years, a sign of a government that has responsibly controlled spending and that has the economy firing on all cylinders. I don't want us to be distracted by internal division. Let's continue to move forward and let's not risk a deep, you know, let's not go back. You talk about Ralph Klein in 2005. After he left, the, the PC party went into a decade of division four leaders, constant infighting. We ended up with two conservative parties that handed government to the NDP. I don't want us to risk going back into another decade of division when, in fact, so much is going good for the province right now. Is that why you said, and this is uh, referring to your to the leaked recording, uh, is that why you said that, hey, I want to stay on and, and, and keep this party moving forward, to keep the province moving forward? Yeah, I, I took some time over Christmas to do some serious introspection and consult with uh, with friends and colleagues about whether I should uh, continue to offer uh, to to lead and and I w- you know I spent three years of my life crisscrossing the province much of that time without a paycheck to try to reunite the divided conservative political family in the province. But what does it say and, about the and, fact that there actually was a recording that somebody in your party caucus uh, felt the need to record and disseminate that information? I mean, it's... it's uh, well, it's not the first time I, there, that I've experienced leaks in a big organization. When right. I was Minister of National Defense, uh, that, organ, that department leaked like a sieve. All I will say is this, that um, I concluded after that period of, of discernment that if I were to leave right now, we would go into an incredibly divisive leadership election that would be largely focused on 
uh, arguments and recrimination over COVID policy that is behind us. It would be deeply and I think permanently divisive. I do not want the conservative, the United Conservative Party that I helped to build to go into the same kind of cycle of internal division that we saw between 2005 and 2015 that led to the election of an NDP government. According to the credible polls right now, under my leadership, this party wins majority government today. We have 14 months ahead of us, 14 months of leading Canada in economic growth, in job creation, in diversification, and in completing the last 12% of our campaign commitments. We'll be able to look Albertans in the eye and say, we did what we said we would do on jobs, the economy, pipelines, and building a stronger Alberta. All right. Paul has been waiting for almost half an hour on the phones. Uh, Paul, go ahead. You're on the air with uh, Premier Jason Kenney. Thank you, Premier. Thank you for taking my call. Um, you answered part of a question relating to the certain companies uh, reducing compensation to rural landowners. And they are actually forcing landowners to the Surface Rights Board because the board has been in compliance with the operators. And so we're very disappointed in the in the Surface Rights Board outcome. So we just uh, feel that we're not being listened to. So... I just, I tried to get a meeting with the, um, Rick McIver, but he's refused to meet with landowners. So we're, we feel that we've been abandoned. Well, uh, thank you for flagging it, Paul. I will raise that with uh, Minister McIver. And in fact, uh, right now I'm in text communication as we speak with the Minister of Agriculture, Nate Horner, um, who is also very concerned about this. When we came to office, we inherited this huge backlog at the surface rights board. It's why we appointed a whole lot more people. I understand the timelines are much better now, um, but it's a, it's a quasi-judicial tribunal. Uh, they have to make uh, objective decisions. They can't be tied to either side of the, of the dispute, of course. Uh, they have to, it, as a quasi-judicial body, have the same kind of independence as, as a court does or a judge. But if there are issues that are not being properly considered, uh, I will certainly flag that with the Ministers of Municipal Affairs and Agriculture. Right. And uh, actually, I'm told by Nate Horner right now that he met with you last week. And uh, so we'll, we, we'll be sure to follow up with Rick McIver as well. Thank you. Russ, you're on the air with Premier Kenny. MSI funding municipality question you have. Good morning. Uh, Les Spurgeon, Councillor in Bicycle, Alberta. Um I just got elected recently, so I'm just learning about this stuff, but um, I understand um, our Municipal Sustainability Initiative, uh, MSI funding. In 2017, we were at $416,000 for our our community, and uh, in 2022 and 2023, um, you've downloaded us to the point where we're getting 142800 per year for both years, which is basically a third of what we were getting before. And we're supposed to maintain our uh, our local services, infrastructure, the works, while you've been, we're, we have um, policing, schools, infrastructure, all being downloaded down to the provincial, uh, to the municipal level, where we can't, uh, uh, we basically can't, move ahead with what initiatives we need to do because we have no money left. Right. And, you uh, raised some good points. Uh, we'll let Premier Kenny uh, tackle your questions. Yeah, I didn't... Did Les say which municipality he's with? Uh, Bicycle. Bicycle. Thanks, Les. Um, so, Les, it's, it is true that as part of our 
effort to get spending under control and get stop deficit uh, spending and, and borrowing, uh, that we have brought in uh, a a new municipal infrastructure funding framework that uh, does does uh, include a small reduction, but it's not a two thirds reduction. So I, I want to definitely get municipal affairs to look into the numbers you you just stated there because it's more like a ten percent reduction. Uh, but we've also made up for that with a surge in. Uh, funding for infrastructure uh, and infrastructure grants to municipalities through the COVID era to be counter-cyclical because, you know, governments want to spend more on infrastructure when the economy is in a recession to stimulate demand um, and also to make up for less private sector building. Uh, and that's exactly what we did through the last two years. But going forward, yes, we, we have had a, a modest reduction in um, in municipal uh, infrastructure grants, and um, but there's a lot of other funding going out there. We've put out, I mean, our capital plan involves $20 billion over the next three years. That's a lot of rural hospitals uh, and roads and schools. Uh, and uh, and so uh, we, we, we're making very huge investments in infrastructure, but uh, I'll, I'll look into those particular numbers that you've cited because that doesn't reflect the overall changes that we've made to MSI. All right, I'd like to go over the texts right now, Mr. Premier. A question... Uh, this is from Calgary. While in an effort to save your job, you're throwing around money like a drunken sailor. Why are you not re-indexing H? Do you not care about the disabled? Um, okay, well, obviously we care about the disabled, and Alberta, in fact, provides the most generous uh, support to people with disabilities of any province in Canada. Uh, with respect to H, for example, um, the H, that's the Alberta, uh, so that's uh, is, assisted support, excuse me, for people with disabilities, and it's about 25% more generous than the next most generous province, which is Saskatchewan. It's 40% more generous than the uh, average benefit that persons with uh, severe handicaps get across the country. So um, it it is uh, far more generous than in other provinces. Um, When you, the suggestion that we're uh, overspending, in fact, Alberta's government has basically cap spending over the past three years overall, which is how we got to a balanced budget this week. And that's important because to, ma- to maintain the sustainability of programs like AISH, we can't sink ourselves into a sea of debt through endless structural deficits. That's why we had to get back to fiscal responsibility so that we can afford generous programs like uh, the AISH for persons with disabilities. All right. We're going to have to take a break here in a couple of minutes. So I want to hit, uh, there's, boy, we've got tons of text messages, both from Calgary and from Edmonton, and we have people on hold. Here's a quick text message from Bruce. Mr. Kenny, is there any plan to compensate workers who were let go or removed from their employment because of the vaccine mandates and are now being called to return to work, vaccinated or not? Well, to the best of my knowledge, there's nobody in the Alberta government or public sector that was uh, removed for not being vaccinated because they all had a negative testing option. Uh, so if people refused to be vaccinated and refused to be negative tested, they might have been put on unpaid leave. Um, and then they're welcome to come back to work now that the, the proof of vaccination or negative test option has been lifted. But once again, uh, at least in Alberta, people did have the negative test option, which I think was uh, was a, a good and reasonable accommodation. All right. We're going to take a break. If you have questions for Premier Jason Kenney, if you have concerns or issues that you feel need to be addressed, phone or text 403-974-8255 in Calgary and Edmonton, the number is 780-496-0063 and across the province, 1-800-563-7770. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Jason Kenney. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment of Your Province, Your Premier. 
Wayne Nelson back with you as host and moderator of Your Province, Your Premier, the new show for listeners throughout the province. Heard every Saturday morning from 10 till 11 in Calgary on 770 CHQR and at Edmonton on 630 CHED. Do you have a concern or an issue you'd like to bring to the Premier's attention? Do you have a specific question you'd like the Premier to answer? Here's your opportunity to chat one-on-one. Just phone or text 403-974-8255 in Calgary and Edmonton 780-496-0063 and across the province 1-800-563-7770. All right, Tim has been uh, holding on for a long time. We'll go to Tim first. He has a question on voting. Go ahead, Tim. You're on with Premier Jason Kenney. Yes, good morning, Premier. I just wanted to say uh, I sat on uh, two of the boards uh, up until the last year here, and um, <clears throat> sorry, I've been uh, listening to a few people and had discussions with people, and uh, I would like to ask this question uh, on behalf of many members, and recognizing that the voting process has now been revised to mail-in ballots, and also recognizing that the cost to vote was 100 Fifty dollars, or a hundred if you were early bird, plus fuel and lodging. Uh, will there be a provision for the expired memberships, uh, the option or opportunity to now renew if their members, uh, their membership had not expired within perhaps say the last ninety days when this process started? Also recognizing that the board of has the ability to set the rules for the special AGM, will you encourage them to consider this? Okay, uh, thanks very much, Tim. Uh, so my understanding is that the elected United Conservative Party Provincial Board um, has said that anybody who was a member in good standing as of midnight last Saturday uh, can, will be eligible to cast a mail ballot, and that that was the cutoff. Um, I, I think the, that if they were to extend that, it would create all sorts of accusations that um, that the you know that there's an effort to to drive in a, la- a last minute number of members who were not otherwise involved in the party. So there does have to be a cutoff at some point. I get that. Um, I'll pass on your, your comment to uh, the party president, but I, I you know, I, as once again, I think they, to, to ha- have a administer this thing properly, they have to have a cutoff in terms of membership sales. And, and that's the one that they've established. But I do think this is a better system because it does allow uh, for full participation by every member in a safe and secure way, including people that can't leave their homes or were not able to travel to Red Deer at considerable expense. All right, text message related topic. Can we count on the UCP rules of membership of being purchased with consent and only paid by the individual or immediate family member going to be respected or will bulk membership purchase as allowed by recent legislation Bill 81 be the new practice? Uh, The answer to the first question is yes. The rule uh, within the party bylaws is that memberships must be purchased by an individual or their immediate family members and uh, the answer to the second question is that's a mis- uh, con- misconception. Uh, the legislation does not uh, permit that. Uh, and ultimately, the parties decide what their rules are for membership. Uh, that's always been the case. And in the United Conservative Party, you have to, if you buy membership, you have to buy it for yourself or an immediate family member. Um, and, uh, and that rule is, is carefully observed by the party. All right. Uh, David uh, is our next caller. Uh, David, go ahead. I admire how fast you are on your feet. I have a quick question or, or statement for you. August the 9th of last year, there was no, from Redwater down at least to Spruce Grove, there was no access at all to RCMP services. That was a Sunday. All I could get was a recording saying, you're in line for the next available dispatcher 
even through 911. So even if I was being murdered, I couldn't get police. CPOs can't handle anything other than traffic tickets and bylaws. And I wrote to your office and I got not even the courtesy of one of those letters that said we shredded what you sent in. Nothing at all. Will you please explain why your office doesn't reply to correspondence? Okay, David, I'm sorry. Uh, Thank you for flagging what happened in terms of RCMP service. Uh, in terms of correspondence, my office gets well over a thousand emails every day, and we just simply don't have enough uh, staff to respond to every single one. I, I know they do their best, uh, but on this issue, it's one of the reasons we are looking at the possibility of an Alberta Provincial Police Service uh, that would have a community policing model for our province. We respect the RC and pre- appreciate the good work that they do, but. Very often, the local RCMP depots are understaffed because the national RCMP uh, has, uh, well, they're not putting enough people through the training depot at Regina, and they're constantly reallocating staff across the country. So we often have local depots in uh, Alberta that are below their fully funded staffing levels. One of the issues that we are looking at, we think we could probably do better with an Alberta Provincial Police Service, much like they do in Ontario, Quebec, and Newfoundland. All right. Uh, A text message now from Edmonton. The bylaws, and this is referring to the party bylaws, the bylaws make a zero provision for mail-in ballots. How dare you quote bylaws when this practice is clearly being broken uh, resign. So this is a text message from someone in Edmonton. So uh, it's in fact the the party board, which is elected, uh, that is deciding how uh, to process this vote. In fact, the party bylaws uh, do permit uh, for uh, th- this kind of decision making, and and um, just like the federal conservatives do with their leadership election, uh, they do this by through a mail vote. Uh, so this is uh, clearly permitted in the UCP bylaws. Now. Oh. Are there rules out for the leadership review? Yeah, I believe so. Just go to the party website. Okay. Uh, There was a story that I was uh, reading online that said, uh, and this was as of yesterday, two days ago, that said there were no new rules posted. uh, And so I just wanted to make sure that there were rules and what they were. Yeah, well, the party board has passed a a number of resolutions clarifying what the rules are, and there have been a couple of emails sent out to members, and I believe there should be information on the website. All right, let's go to uh, Mike. Mike, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, Jason. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I had a question regarding uh, religious liberty in our province. Uh, There's been a lot of media discussion uh, regarding the imprisonment of Alberta pastors over the last two years. Could you please let your audience know uh, your government's commitment to upholding religious liberties during any future provincial or federal emergency scenario? Yeah, thank you, Mike. Well, uh, one of the things that's been a core conviction for me in my public service has been religious freedom, and that, in fact, I uh, helped to lead the creation of the Office for Religious Freedom in the Harper government to be a voice for religious freedom around the world. Here in Alberta, we're the only province that did not at any time throughout COVID uh, suspend congregational worship across the province as a a public health policy. We're the only province that allowed for ongoing congregational worship, but admittedly with some restrictions to uh, slow viral spread and avoid massive loss of life and potential widespread denial of health care to people. Um, So there's about 10,000 clergy in the province, and my understanding is that 10,000 of them... uh, 
complied broadly or made an effort to comply with public health measures and and did not have any problems with law enforcement. There were three of the 10,000 who uh, apparently made a very public uh, spectacle of total noncompliance. And unfortunately, that led to court orders and enforcement. I regret that all of that happened. Um, and I, I would just say that I, I hope that never happens again. And I, I do believe that we're, the worst of COVID is behind us. Uh, let's learn from the lessons of that. Um, and, and I would just encourage, you know, I just want to say thank you to the 10,000 clergy who uh, cared for their congregations and for our broader society and the sanctity of human life uh, by, by seeking to, to be responsible uh, at key points throughout the pandemic. Mr. Kenny, we're going to have to wrap things up here. I have one text message I would like to read before we uh, close the show for the day. Would Mr. Kenny agree to freeze his and his colleagues' wage increases as regular Albertans have been experiencing wage cuts or haven't seen an increase in many years? Cost of living increases while wages are falling way behind. Well, (laughs) the answer is no, because we don't have a a wage increase. To the contrary, um, I kept my campaign commitment to cut my salary by 10%. All of our MLA's voted to cut their own salaries by 5%. That's on top of an earlier 2014 5% reduction. There have been no increases in MLA compensation since uh, for, uh, uh, you know, uh, many, many years, uh, I think 10 years, and none are are scheduled, none are planned, and nor is there an Alberta MLA uh, pension plan. All right. Premier Kenny, thank you for joining us again today. We'll do this again next Saturday morning at the same time. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Wayne. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.